Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Two readings tonight. First from the Old Testament, Malachi, and the second from the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. Um, I'm going to be reading this in the Revised Standard Version, which is the version in your pew Bible. So if it sounds a little bit different to the version you've got with you from home, that's okay. It's the same Bible, just a little bit different. Let's begin with Malachi 4. For behold, the day comes burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go forth leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the ordinances that I commanded them at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse." Now let's go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read firstly verses 5 to 25, and then we're going to jump to a different section and then jump to another section. But I'll let you know as we go. Luke 1 verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, It fell to him by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. 
and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things come to pass, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he made signs to them and remained dumb. And when his time of service ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she hid herself, saying, Thus the Lord has done in me to me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now we turn to verses 39 to 45. In those days Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And now we'll go to verse 57 and then to the end of the chapter at verse 80. Now a time came for Elizabeth to be delivered, and she gave birth to a son. And her neighbours and kinsfolk heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have named him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, Not so, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your kindred is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all marvelled. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
and has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. When the day shall dawn upon us from out on high and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness till the day of his manifestation to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Um, something a little different this evening. Uh, when I... Uh came to church this morning, we knew that our brother Sully was um, very close to the end, but he had not yet died. Uh, and there were, uh, we just, you know, we needed to kind of speak to the moment, if you like. So I wrote, wrote a different sermon in the kind of 20 minutes or so before the service started, still reflecting on this passage from Luke that we've just read. Uh, and so I'm going to give you what, what you what the congregation heard this morning, actually, as well. Uh, it's a bit rough around the edges, let's be honest, but um, to be fair, I'm a little rough around the edges today, too. Uh, and so we're going to uh, think a little bit about um, the darkness, actually, is what we're going to get into this evening. So would you pray with me as we come to God's Word together? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us in all things. We thank you that you speak to us through your Word. And so we pray that as we hear your Word, we've heard it read already this evening as we uh, dig into it together tonight now, that you would bring your Word to life in our hearts by your Spirit, that you would give us light in the darkness of our lives, so that we might walk the way of the Lord Jesus to the end of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zechariah, in his prophecy after John the Baptist is born, speaks these words. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break on us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And well, we know today what it's like to sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Uh, it's nearly Christmas time, but this is not the, the kind of feeling you're supposed to have around Christmas time. This is not what Christmas is supposed to feel like. Christmas is a time of joy, a time of peace and celebration, a time of family, a time of life. Uh, often Christmas is that time when all the treasured family heirloom Christmas decorations come out. They're often not actually all that great and fancy, but you love them anyway because they're part of your childhood. For me, when I know that Christmas has come is when I smell my grandmother's ancient plastic Christmas tree and the glass decorations that you hang on it. it. Fell apart years ago, but, you know, we continue to use it nonetheless. I smell that and I go, Christmas is here. Christmas is often a time of deep sentimentality for us. There are a couple of great uh, contemporary authors uh, writing about uh, Advent, and one of those is a, a woman uh, named Fleming Rutledge. She's a, a priest uh, in the Anglican Church in North America, uh, and uh, uh, she writes a lot of really wonderful sermons about Advent. And I want to read you a little bit of what she has to say about uh, the sentimentality of our, of our celebrations at Christmas time. She writes this. The closer we get to Christmas, the more tempted we are to retreat to the cosy, imagined world of our childhood. 
I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. Just like the ones I used to know. Those are the operative words. The suggestion is that the dream is behind us. The way to happiness is to return to that idealised past. Sentiment and nostalgia play a major role in our Christmas observances. We bring out the ornaments we loved as children. We display little 19th century towns with snow-covered roofs. We collect figures of carolers dressed in the style of Dickensian London. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. I do some of it myself. Fleming Rubbage says that's not me. I do some of this myself, she says. But it does illustrate our tendency to romanticise the past. Popular Christian music, similarly, is popular precisely because it trades on this basic human tendency to sentimentalise. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, goes the song, evoking the olden days, happy golden days of yore. Now, Fleming Rutledge goes on to contrast this with uh, the church's season of Advent, this season we celebrate in the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And here's what she has to say. She says, Advent is exactly the opposite of all this. Nostalgia and sentiment play no part in the season. There were no golden days of yore. Advent refuses to dwell in a past that never was. Advent is about the future. It isn't a season of remembering something that happened a long time, to, a long time ago. It's a season of preparation for the great coming day of the kingdom of God. We need this season of Advent. We need this preparation for the Lord's return because it turns out things are not okay. Wars rage around the world. Mass shootings senselessly take life. People starve across the globe. Floods ravage here closer to home. And people who we love die. Uh, in that kind of circumstance, uh, peace on earth and goodwill to all men can sound like nothing but a pious platitude unless we're willing to acknowledge that we live in darkness and in the shadow of death, unless we're willing to live an unsentimental life facing the griefs of the world. Fleming Rutledge, uh, who I, I've quoted at length already, um, she's 85 now, she's doing quite well, and for an 85-year-old, she's extremely active on Twitter. Just last week, she tweeted a, a one-line version of that long quote that I just read you. She wrote, Advent is not for sissies. Advent is unsentimental. Advent is about facing up to the darkness and the griefs of the world. Zechariah and Elizabeth, who we've read about in God's word this evening, knew about the darkness and the griefs of the world, didn't they? They were waiting for a child. They'd been waiting forever for a child. They'd been trying again and again for a child, for this sign of God's grace and goodness to them, for this source of happiness and joy that they so wanted. It never came. Zechariah, as one of the priests on his rotation in the temple in Jerusalem, was praying day in, day out for God's salvation to come, what he'd promised would come to Israel, for it to turn up. It still hadn't. And you add to all of this uh, that, that these two, these great saints of old, the scriptures tell us that they were blameless. Not sinless, of course, but doing all that the Lord had called his Old Testament people Israel to do under the law, to make sacrifices, to repent, they were as perfect as sinful human beings can be. And yet God had not heard their prayer. God had not answered their prayer. These are exactly the kinds of people, from priestly families no less, both descendants of the great high priest Aaron. They should be honoured in their community. This is, these are the people for whom life should go right. Instead, as Elizabeth says when she gives thanks to God for hearing their prayer, they had been disgraced in their community because they weren't able to conceive a child. 
Their story begins in darkness, in grief. Uh, We need a season exactly like this. This is where the light comes, in this season of darkness and of grief. This sermon really, on one level, is brought to you by North American Anglican women preachers. Uh, Here's a quote from another one, uh, Tish Harrison Warren, who's another wonderful writer uh, on Advent and all manner of things. She writes, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep wordless desire for things to be made right, and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still wracked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness. Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but are also wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. And that's what we'll come to in the weeks ahead. Probably the most unsentimental character in the whole of the Bible is John the Baptist. The axe is at the root of the trees, he says. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Fleming Rutledge writes, who would want that on a Christmas card? Well, we would at CCRW. Actually, you can buy some of them in the foyer. Unsentimental about ourselves as much as anything else. And we'll get to that in the weeks to come. Tish Harrison Warren continues about the practice of Advent. Our response to the wrongness of the world and of ourselves can often be an unhealthy escapism. And we can turn to the holidays as anesthesia from pain as much as anything else. We need collective space as a society to grieve, to look long and hard at what is cracked and fractured in our world and in our lives. Only then can celebration become rich, deep and resonant. Not as a saccharine act of delusion, but as a defiant act of hope. And so what I want to invite you to as we begin this season of Advent together, particularly this year, particularly with the news of today, is to actually embrace your griefs. What are your griefs this Advent? What are the things that are getting you down? What are the things that hurt? What are the things in your life where you go, God, why are you not answering that prayer for me? Why are you silent? Perhaps your grief this Advent will be faces missing from around the Christmas table that you expected to be there this time last year. This, though, is the darkness in which the light is revealed. Not the light of looking back, but the light of looking forward. And we see that even in the scriptures here, that are are prophesying on one level the birth of the Lord Jesus and all that God will do through him, but they point far, far beyond that. All these celebrations in Luke chapter 1, as darkness begins to turn to light, as the sun begins to dawn, they all point forward to the king who that newborn would one day become. Verse 17, the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah, with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him, before the Lord, to turn the hearts of parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To Mary, in verse 33, the angel says, your son will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Elizabeth, when she meets Mary, her cousin, the mother of her Lord, And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Uh, This is not a moment of sentimental love for that brilliant, which is genuinely brilliant, beautiful moment of hearing a child move inside your womb. You see what she does? She goes straight away to what is it that God is doing in the world? He's coming to bring salvation, to bring righteousness and hope to his people. We see it too in the prophecy of Zechariah after his son is born. All of a sudden, Zechariah is talking about this other one who is to come, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty saviour for us in the house of his servant David. Uh, a baby newborn, you know, I'm not really sure what they could do to save us, right? But that baby was going to grow into a king. A king whose kingdom will have no end. The king who will come again to judge the living and the dead and make all things new and wipe every tear from our eyes. And so we wait. That's what Advent is about. It's about waiting for the coming of the Lord. And while we wait, we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord at his coming again. How do we do that? It's right there for us in Zechariah's prophecy, verses 74 and 75. Uh, God, having brought his salvation, we will be rescued from the hands of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is what it looks like to live waiting for the Lord's return to take whatever moments we have and to turn them into righteousness, into holiness, to be free from fear as we serve him in all that we do. Fleming Rutledge again, she writes, we're not looking backwards sentimentally to a baby. We're looking forward to the only one in whom the promise of peace will someday be fulfilled. Trusting in that promise, we can do things which we thought we could not do. Relying on him, we can change our habits, confront our addictions, forgive our enemies, curb our spending, challenge our society, raise our pledge, lower our defences, stand up for justice, speak the truth. Not all of these things at once, to be sure, but even one break from past patterns of sin will be in its way a sign of Christ's coming. She concludes, because God is out ahead of us, we know that the cover-ups, the denials, the lies and frauds and pretenses are part of the old world which is passing away. We're not trapped in our mistakes and delusions because God is enlisting us on the side of his future. This is what Advent is about, to begin to see the dawning light of the Lord Jesus Christ even in the midst of our darkness. And so we wait in hope because our Lord will come again. Let's pray. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Now, in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came among us in great humility, that on the last day when he comes again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.